Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone. It's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola, and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ Network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled Woe period Begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun and see you later. Welcome to Rusty Quill Gaming, the Q&A, I want to say three in this never-ending purgatory of questions and answers. <laughs> I'm Alexander Janiel, and with me today I have... Ben Meredith, Bryn Monroe, Lydia Nicholas, and Helen Gould. And we're going to be continuing to answer a bunch of questions. I've been given a fresh set for this one, uh, but before we go into those, I will I will follow through. I will show the integrity of 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 sixty nine, which is I, apparently I never got around to ask, answering sixty nine. So I think we should do. I think we should start with that one. So with that in mind, just to really get things going, this one's for you, Ben, and it's the 69 from the last set. It's from Lost Boy King, and it's exactly the kind of hypothetical I know you love. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. If both Hamid and Wilde had died in 207... Which one's 207? The one where Wilde died. Evil Terminator... Which time? The second time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If both Hamid and Wilde had died in 207, who would Zolf have chosen to save with Breath of Life? Hmm... Uh, who else was there? I was also there. So the the question specifically, yeah, if you lost both Hammond and Wilde, they don't mention any other party members who are apparently <laughs> perfectly expendable. <laughs> oh, oh, out, oh, it's a question actually out of Hammond and Wilde, who would you have saved if the choice yeah. was there? Yes, I think that's what it is. Wilde, obviously. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that's, like, no, but regardless of what I think, that's the character choice. Yeah, yeah. and we discussed it at the time. I was like, that... I, I remember bringing up at the beginning of the episode my ter- my most terrible fear this episode is that both Hamid and Wilde will die simultaneously and Ben and Zolf will correctly make the choice to bring back Wilde. Like, I knew that was would have been the choice ahead of time. Like, what else could the choice have been? Because it's, it's also a thing of, like, c- can you imagine, like, a, a reasonable version of Zolf 
where he saves Hamden, not Wild. I mean, it makes the campaign unplayable because Hamden and Zolf can no longer interact in a way that's healthy for either of them. Uh, well, I don't. That's interesting, actually. I don't know mm. if Zolf would blame Hamid. I think Zolf would blame himself. Yeah, probably. But I mean, Hamid would be consumed with guilt. I. Well, it, that's true. <laughs> and they were getting along so well at that time as well, anyway. Mm, indeed. Uh, I think at that point we'd reached a a, a tense accord. Yeah. yeah, they were getting along better. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think they were sharing survival. That's not quite the same thing as no, getting. But I think that's perfectly reasonable with the, in the circumstances. I think they both dealt with it as well as either of their personalities could be expected. Yeah, we to. had a pretty good conversation a couple of episodes earlier where we finally sort of cleared mm. the air a bit. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think. And so the thing that was actually scariest to me, in a sense, was the way it ended up playing out. Is uh, Hamid died in the combat round before Wild did, and you only get a one. You only get a one round <laughs> yeah. opportunity so to use, use Breath it. of Life. Mm. So, you, yeah. so you could have used Breath of Life between Hammer dying and Wild dying. Because obviously at that point, you don't know Wild's about to die necessarily. And you've got to, you know, you want to bring back Hammer because he's just died. But then you don't even have it left to bring back Wild. And that to me is mm. almost a, a worse choice. Because it means every action was correct at every moment, but the outcome is awful. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that was absolutely what I was mechanically pushing for. Oh. Like, just to <laughs> lay that straight out there. That was exactly the, the, the ultimate destination that I couldn't get you to. Personally, I actually think that's easier because at that point, the problem becomes mechanical of like, oh, yeah, I only have one use. Yeah. And like, with a thing like that, it's just correct to use it as soon as you have it. Or like as soon as it can yes. be used. So I feel like yeah. if it happens a second time, it's like it, in character mm. you could say like, oh well, it's fate, or you know, it's yeah. like yeah, uh, you know, yeah. We did, oh, ben, yeah. You, you and I can never, never play long-term computer games together. You have to take your special ability and hoard it because you're certain <laughs> that there will be a worse situation till you finally end up at the end of the game and realize you didn't use any of the good abilities and have basically gone through having completely nerfed yourself. That's I mean, that's I, still, I still, I still do doing. that. But use the thing when you have it is the correct play yeah. pretty much all, <laughs> at all times. <laughs> I mean, shout out to Helen, who prevented that scenario from happening by <laughs> reducing damage by two points, which saved yeah. Hamid's life. It's true. It turns out that the, the super tactic all along was minor like arithmetic waiting at my end, where it's like, don't forget to neglect that two damage. Absolutely screws me. Couldn't do it. <laughs> For, from that point, the, through the entire rest of the campaign, every time it was, oh, you forgot minus two. Yeah, I... I, I can't track that. I'll just assume you're right. All Who right. will win? The full force of a Gestalt entity or like this kind of mid-range paladin spell? <laughs> I think As we every all know time. the answer to that one. <laughs> Obscure mid-range mechanics for the win in Pathfinder. Okay. Right. Into into this round of questions, questions. I've got my don't, uh, don't D20s roll. Let's out. just start with 69 this time. You know what? All right, yeah. Let's go. I'm gonna start Double 69, 69 dude. <laughs> It's a good we'll way start to start. Straight to 69. Mirrors, mirrors the, two, the two halves yeah. of the Q&A properly. <laughs> oh, I've, just, I've literally just accidentally pre-read that. Okay, okay, 69. This is from Lena Oxton. Hey, Alex, tell us about NPC plot that didn't happen because of bad dice rolls. So much. <laughs> like, what, what haven't I covered at this point? Like, the entire goddamn campaign. <laughs> it's, it's just one. <laughs> like accidental non-death to another rolling on and on and ever on um something that i haven't mentioned give me a second npc okay npc plot that didn't happen because of bad dice roll the, I, again i've said it before the most egregious is the um 
Oh my gosh, Sasha's <laughs> governess. Oh, Eldarian, the Medusa. Eldarian, yeah. Eldarian was one. Mm. Uh, Medusa, weirdly enough, is probably the most minor character in the campaign that had the biggest effect by <laughs> virtue of being garbage. Beyond that, I think a bunch of Harrison Campbell stuff, if I remember correctly, would have been different to do with the the crossing where Bertie and Harrison were on the same train. Mm. I have a vague memory that there was a bad dice roll that made things go slightly odd there. But what would have changed there? Because like ultimately Bertie got through the Channel Tunnel. It's just that the adventure within the tunnel would have been a bit different. But like, you Oh, know. Harrison Campbell would have just pinged off in the did the direction by being dead or uh, <laughs> or you know and I'll be honest if Harrison Campbell at any point was killed by the party he would immediately have been lauded as one of the greatest classics of all time <laughs> or also you could argue that if he hadn't had a negative inf- uh, experience with Campbell we wouldn't have had the Barney on the boat which might not have meant that Zolf left which mm. actually yeah, no, that's, I guess, that's like, this is kind of what I'm talking about is Campbell weirdly enough pings off a few different yeah, okay. plot points and Fair. he was at the start I was like I'll just see what happens so I remember that he could have easily exploded on that train if, if James had have killed him outright, I'd have been like, fair, he's yeah. dead. You killed the author. So I think there would have been a few differences. I'm just trying to think. Can I ask about um, what would have happened if Azu did go and see Chinua on the bear? So Chinua would have been there, would have been um, not infected. Okay. Uh, but would have been there having met all these just really helpful squizzard people. And, you know, you can't <gasps> judge people by the way they look. Okay. And these people have been really helpful. They teleported a bunch of people out from when there was a breach in the quarantine. They've been really, really helpful. And they've said that, you you know, you, you can help bring this thing down. And I know you're not so small minded as to judge someone for having tentacles <laughs> for a face. Um, they, these guys have been really stand up. I really we, think you should talk with them. We judge them by their actions, not their looks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. You you judge them correctly. But I would have just had that entire thing would have been a moral dilemma of Chinois being like, these guys are super cool. They have absolutely <laughs> hooked everyone you know up. Chill out. Mm. Have a conversation. Just to really... That would not have gone well. <laughs> I don't know. Do you, do, 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 uh, he, uh, they may not have mentioned the bit where, you know, they kidnapped people that were beloved to us and made us go to sodding Rome. Mm. Oh, there'd, there'd have been a nonsense explanation for why that was okay. I'd have really, I'd have, I'd have, <laughs> I'm see. good at coming up with nonsense explanations on the fly. It'd have been fine. Mm. It was a holiday mm. to Italy. <laughs> they, it's fine. They gave us loads of money afterwards and suddenly we're cool. Uh, no, probably not that. <laughs> I know that you guys failed a bunch of investigation roles throughout the campaign that definitely affected NPCs. Like early on, what, there are two times actually where you said that uh, hitting some extremely high investigation or perception check would have changed things. Like, firstly, when we found the arm of the the simulacrum. Yeah. So, oh, that's a really good example. I would have allowed you to find the entire simulacrum. Mm. It wouldn't have gone off unnoticed in the sewers, gone through all the London first and blah, blah, blah. It would have... Ta- I did consider this one. It would have gone through, like, in bunny ears, high society first, and it would have been Ooh. a different... It would have been less... There's riots everywhere than Britain just came to a really brilliant accord with France. France and Germany suddenly really agree that converting Britain to one giant bread basket is a great idea. Victoria's grandchildren been, all like, we agree on everything now. Bah, 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 bah. Yeah, it would have been It would have been a top-down revolution rather than a bottom-up in terms of the infection. That You're right, that was one where I, for my own amusement, was like, it'll. you still end up with an infection either way, but it, it 
Well, so wait, wait, wait. So, so we different. understand what it is if we perceived it and no, no, no. I'd have still. Oh no, I'd we still... just find it and we give it to them, and then yeah, this, this would be the thing. It'd be Harrogate right. being like, "I'll make sure this is destroyed because I'm a good lad." Right. And he would have tried, but instead, Aww. that was what the um mer- the new meritocratic leader was for. She was there. To oh be yeah, the prime minister. We completely ignored. <laughs> yeah, you were just like, "You're right." Bye. She she was meant to be a vector for <laughs> she it. She was as quite a, as a scary when she turned up. There was a version where, again, if that investigation had gone well and you had found the simulacrum and had handed it in, she definitely would have been more of a player in terms of a, a vector and a recurring face for the infection. But again, like it was all so early that you don't plan that far ahead because it, it diverges too quickly. Good <laughs> um, example, though, Lid. That's, that's a really good one. Probably the biggest one, actually. There were a few other places where I remember you saying if Cell hits this completely bonkers perception check because <laughs> the bonuses were so high, like you you once threw out like, oh, you know, you'd have to hit 30. And I was like, well, I absolutely could technically do that. <laughs> yeah, I did start lifting DCs a little bit when Cell joined yeah, the party. Yeah, yeah, but there, there's things where we might have seen through something. I'm sure there were just shortcuts that would have taken us on a different... There were. There were a few shortcuts. Um, you found one of them in the show-in stuff. Is that, mm. um, You did, like, really good, if I remember correctly, investigative and, like, perception and decoding for the diary and stuff that just goes, my grand plan by yeah, show-in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to me trailing out this thing and slowly decodering it over here. It was mm. just like, here it is. But well, I think you remember saying that us arriving in the underground, hidden like dock place kind of flipped showing a bit because it meant we i mean you said yes. at the time that you'd sort of planned out an order and ended up like just flipping the the order of the things we encountered around a lot because because we did we did a couple of really good roles that kind of oh, got yeah. us into you, that you place. found you found that underwater dock on an incredibly like unlike it was like a nat 20 or something i can't remember mm. um yeah so the fun one there is Originally, I was intending you to go in the route that Barnes and Carter took. You know the 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 route. There were two ways that I had, which is main entrance was the one I thought you were most likely to do, where it's like I can't find this dock. We'll find a way to climb up the cliffs. We arrive dripping, soaking, and pissed off to a welcome adventurers at the front door. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like as a like ha 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 ha. You can't even get in my castle, kind of thing. That was my primary. My secondary was your backup tunnel, where Wild was like, "There is this tunnel," and you were like, "No, no. What we'll do? We will like, <laughs> we'll make obvious. a submarine, and we'll need that as an escape route." We, we I'm really, planning. really happy excellent with it planning. because the original conceit for Showines was not the Dishonored-esque falling between the cracks of the theme park. I would have made you run mm. through the theme park where <laughs> there are bodies along the way, you know, that died last time, but instead you 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 legit got to take the behind-the-scenes route where when you're on the water, I went, okay, I'm going to have to rebuild this, it'll work. And then it was like, oh, you know, you're in your escape room elevator and you're like... We just tear it down to the metalwork. What? Mm. We just tear the entire thing down to the metalwork, expose the mechanics underneath, job done. (laughs) I repeat that Cell would have loved to solve those puzzles. (laughs) But again, like I did have a few puzzles built and and ready and so on, but I was really glad I instead got to do the... You've come in via the like docking entrance where we're transporting freight because there was a couple of elements where I'm sat there and you can tell if you listen to the recording because there's a stairway that's like 600 floors. <laughs> and it's because in my own dungeon design, I went, look, they're not going to find this. I need a way in my own head to square how they're moving all this stuff up and down and getting around quickly. There'll just be this big stairway. They won't see it. They'll go this way. It's fine. And instead, there's like two episodes of we go up the stairs. 
Okay, cool. We now go down the stairs. <laughs> I, like for this kind of thing, I I find it interesting. Lessener, uh, what are the alternate ways that Rusty Quill gaming as a plot could have worked? And more as I all of all of this is me learning how a really good DM constructs alternate routes through like the same like this is this is good learning. Not, mm-hmm. It's because I'm not very good at pivoting pre-made plans. I think you I'm, are, I'm just Alex. Not. <laughs> so what I'll good. do is I just, I know what shape it already has. Yeah. Because it, It's because I get lost. Anytime mm. there's a maze that isn't really a maze and people are making it up on the fly, the problem is, is you get players like Bryn where they go, no, that doesn't work. What? <laughs> you, you've got 400 angles in this triangle it doesn't like geometrically i mean i thought that several times during the campaign i was always far too polite to say it alex exactly so I don't but know my what point you're talking is, about no but there's an extra layer to that for you especially Bryn, which is you do you, you'll do this thing where you go this maze is impossible it doesn't make sense i've been tracing it out the angles don't work it's a fifth dimensional maze guys right okay break out the tech magic and i don't have the heart to go no i'm just bad i'm, I'm just bad at this this isn't well, what i'm good at there's a there's a whole conversation there about setting expectations before going into a game because ultimately it doesn't bloody matter the maze doesn't need to make sense you need to tell a good story but then again you might have a group of people who are really really keen to draw a maze which makes sense and that's how they have fun which is also completely fine you know so i i have to admit as a personal player i tend to play more that kind of game where there'll be someone going right i've built a mega dungeon if you don't write notes you will get lost and die very quickly and it's it's a very different way of working doesn't make for good audio No, Good the Lord. dungeon crawling. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of systems I'd love to like run, but then I think about how the combat works. It's like ah, no, 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 no. It would just be a lot of silence and a lot of hmm. No, we've hmm, which isn't great. Okay, so since we're we're playing loose and fast, and we've already abandoned the the what can barely be consult- called a conceit as for how we're choosing questions. Anyone else have any other favourite numbers before we twenty eight? Where, where where is this even coming from now? <laughs> it's a perfect number. Go on. Is it? 6, 28, and 496 are the first three perfect numbers, where the, the factors of the number sum to the number itself. You guys don't have favourite Sh- numbers? Duh! Yeah, duh, people. Oh, it's so The sad obvious. thing is, is, it does have a point. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a pretty good number to pick on that ground. I tend to think more in terms of primes, but okay, you know what? Yeah, tw- 28. It's as, like, at this point, it's as good a reason as any. We've picked the sex number. Why not pick the one where all of the factorials sum the number itself, right? You just asked me, a giant math nerd, what my favourite number is. You, are you really surprised <laughs> I had an answer? Yeah, I, I prefer not to acknowledge numbers whenever I can. So. <laughs> Same. Okay, you know what? Fair. As the only option on the table, 28 it is. <laughs> this is uh, from KTL. For Eldarion and Sasha... Why was Eldarion so intent on finding Sasha? Was it because she was the founder of the Holoquins? Was it for more personal reasons? Um, I can answer from the Eldarion end quite easily, which is no, Eldarion didn't know that Sasha was the founder. A, because at certain points I didn't know. It hadn't happened yet. <laughs> like, like, there's a reason that you don't do time travel is because you just pray after the fact that you can square the circle. And we got very lucky. I still don't recommend it. Um, yeah, Eldarian had no idea. No one had any idea that um, Sasha was a founder. And Even I absolutely Sasha. had to sustain that conceit later because otherwise it just unravels immediately. Oh, so there was this whole extra thing. And you can you can play that for more mystery of like, they knew all along, but you are lying. You are lying to your players and you're lying to your audience and hoping you don't get caught. 
mm. which is not impossible, but it's very high risk for a thing you can't retcon in a meaningful way. And especially with our fandom, who think much more deeply about these things than we seem to. Yeah. Oh, God, you guys are way better at tracking the <laughs> campaign than I ever was. So, yeah, like, there was never a chance I'd, I'd manage that. So, no, Eldarian never knew. Uh, it was entirely personal. What I can say from Eldarian's end is Eldarian really cared for... The whole point of Eldarian as character, as written from my end, was really, really cares about Sasha, is as horrendous as possible as I can make it, uh, expressing it in a way that is both compatible with Sasha and will be read in a good light. Mm. Like, that was the entire, like, basis for introducing Eldarion if, if they'd kicked around is, oh, yeah, I I'm, I'm absolutely mean the best for you and I am going about it in just consistently the worst way possible, you know, just generating that conflict, but none of it really came off. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's much to say from Sasha's side except for the fact that she always thought that Eldarion was part of the architecture of her horrible sort of tweenagehood, really. Mm. It's, uh, this is someone that's trying to teach her to be someone that she's not and mm. also seems to be in cahoots with all the cruelest people that she knows. And that there's also just a complete lack of understanding. Like, I'm sure that just about every way that Eldarion tries to express affection or care does not work. I'm telling you how to use the correct cutlery because I love you, not because I actually am really aggressive about politeness for the sake of it. Um, no, for Eldarion, I will say one thing, which is a detail that literally never came off, which would have been quite early if Eldarion hadn't immediately been like, uh, is that Eldarion's thing as well was that she wasn't above using any of the power systems she was privy to to help Sasha out. It was someone who at some point had lost the objectivity and was like, yeah, I'll use Harlequin resources and I'm chasing Sasha for Harlequin reasons. Actually, she just, you know, is is trying to, like, look out for Sasha. I don't mean to the point would have turned evil or anything, just there would have been a discrepancy between the level of importance that Sasha actually had for the Harlequins mm. as far as they were aware and what Eldarion was using as resources to do it. It was very personal for Eldarion. Oh, I still didn't like her. No. Uh, no one was meant to. No no one was meant to. Although I realise with my characters it's very difficult to tell which ones you're meant to like and which ones you're not meant to like because they're all just <laughs> awful. <laughs> they're just the worst. It's not true. We've got Wild and Einstein. And, and Ed. Ed. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Fun fact, all three were characters I originally built to be so over the top and insufferable that they were meant to like ground the other characters and instead they're all the ones that you were like, this guy's cool, come yeah. on in, you're fine, don't worry about it. Also, I think we all sort of, well, I, I don't know all, but like sl slowly kind of came round to start to root for Earhart. <laughs> yeah. Back and forth on that one a bit, but yes. Yeah. Never rolled very high, did Earhart. Anyway, uh, anyone else have any favourite uh, favorite numbers? I mean, none of them are going to be perfect, but does anyone else have any good numbers? Seven, but written out, not not the, you know, the numeral. Okay, the numeral, okay, I'll go to seven, seven, but written out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good question. I think we've danced around it, but never answered it. Uh, this is from The Tumbleweed. How did Grizzop and Vaseek meet or come to adopt a clutch of baby goblins, also known mm. as Boblins? <laughs> Uh, this is in the backstory that I wrote down, I think. Uh, I think maybe they were being harassed and Grizzop was in Berlin and... That's ringing a bell for me. Probably did the person who was harassing them, probably a murder. That's how Grizzop does. <laughs> um, and then kind of, yeah, help them out 
That's ringing a vague bell. I feel like Grizzop wasn't trying to help the clutch out, but found out about the clutch after doing some paladin, and then I can't, I can't remember. Did right? It's been too long. It Something was some like sort that. of he was he was running around paladining, and then was like, oh, I've helped these people out either by purpose or by accident, and then um, sort of struck up a relationship. Although we def, I don't think we have said how the Seek and Grizzop know one another, like met. In terms so that's of what that. I just said. <laughs> no, no, is it like that. what, what, beyond, <laughs> true, I mean, uh, more like on the longer term, I don't, I, I'm trying to think if in the campaign at any point was Vasek even alluded to until the, like, Grizzops sat on a desert oh. mountaintop. Well, no, I mean, uh, alluded to as in they were the person that Grizzops sent money to. Yeah, because there were there were a few instances of sending money prior to the. Yeah, that they were they were a character who was written into Grizzop's backstory, and I was always going to have like that connection in Berlin, um, which is why I sent the money back there, and then like didn't expect to be honest, didn't expect Vesik to become uh, a character like who's relevant in the campaign. It's been too long. I forget the smaller foreshadowings where it's like you know, you, yeah, you sending the money ahead I of time. I think that like was that. it. I, I think I can't that was remember. It. Can't remember the sequence. It's been too long. Yeah. So Vesik was a goblin in distress. Yeah. Aw, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep them coming. Uh, we've had s- seven but written out. Any other favourite numbers before we uh, start doing things arbitrarily 94. again? Oh, the other Ooh. end. Just because it's a good number? Just think it's overlooked as a number. Yeah, you know? <laughs> Okay. This is, oh, for, for the listeners, these aren't now organised in an order of, like, increasing obscurity or anything. This is just a... Uh, a scattergun. So this is from Raspberry Heaven. It was mentioned that there was a list of questions and prompts given to the players to help build their characters' backstories. Oh, what were the what were player characters' answers to a secret that nobody knows? So all the audience know that I gave you that list, and one of them was like, "What's a secret that your character has that nobody knows?" I think they've all been addressed separately at some point or another. But can people remember what they're like? Absolutely, a no I can't. That was seven years ago. <laughs> I, th- I think Zolf's was killed his brother. Yeah, which we that covered. Was Zolf's. That, that was Zolf's. Or no, I think you worded it as Zolf truly believes he killed his brother, I think was your wording. Well, it was the result of his actions. Yeah, yeah. I think mine was Azu being claustrophobic. Which... No, no, no. Azu's was... Interestingly, yours was to do with a statue. That... <gasps> oh! Oh my God, I forgot about that. Ooh. I still got it here. <laughs> Um, Azu um, did some sort of minor vandalism and let someone else take the blame for it. <gasps> <gasps> but real minor. Like, some of you had, like, proper, like, I killed my brother. And then Azu's is like, I broke a statue and let someone else take the blame and it haunts me to this day. Yeah. Was it valuable? <laughs> oh no. Gosh, I'm just perfect. really extra when it comes to guilt. <laughs> it was so specific. I loved it. I really <laughs> hoped Chinwa could have brought it up. That's so beautifully perfect for the character. <laughs> oh, Amazing. Helen, you're an artist. Yeah. No, but like the reason, so it really makes sense for her as she mm-hmm. came to be. But at the time I wrote it to be like, it was meaningful because as was going to be really focused on becoming high priestess mm-hmm. and she would have been thrown out of seminary if they'd found out that she broke <gasps> this artifact. Oh no. So it's a bigger deal. That's a big deal. So, like, she had to. She was. She was going to have to spend her journey thinking, "I'm only here because someone else got unfairly." Um, <gasps> someone expelled. else got kicked out of seminary. Lid, I got a present for you. Yep. 
just because I know my filing systems and I haven't done the great cleansing yet, I have your originally submitted backstory last yeah. viewed 23rd of March 2015. Oh, <laughs> wow. So this might even be the pros. Yeah, it's the pros one. So I'll, I'll, I do a conversion. So obviously yeah, the, I, unfor- I, the, the thing is, I, I tend to supply Alex with like three, four pages of backstory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Poor Three man. pages, yes. I'm just trying to see if I can dig up the the secret within there. Bear with me. Well, wh- while Alex is doing that, I've, I dug up the Grizzop one. It was that he sends for seek money. Yeah. Aww. The, the habit answer is also obvious. It was, you know, the university yeah. and the getting kicked out. Yeah. Mm. The accident and... Those, those people you got that. killed. Yeah. <laughs> we covered that. Everyone knows that, that already. Slaughter. The little, but, little both, uh, both me and you went for a very similar secret with our first characters. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, <laughs> we accidentally did a killing. Oops. <laughs> The thing is, it's quite possible that I got so carried away with other answers that I didn't put a secret. <laughs> I know that I did a conversion was for you secrets. where you gave me a prose backstory and then I converted. Mm. I can't quite find it for some reason. I'm thinking that it was to do with the list itself. It wasn't clear for Sasha. It's not in your prose backstory for certain. I, I didn't always I didn't always uh, fill things incorrectly. <laughs> so as a as a replacement for people that are... Do you have any idea who Sasha's parents are? Because I don't. Obviously, I put that in as a mystery. Uh, Me? Yeah. I will be honest in terms of how I was doing it, which was Mm. I had Sasha's parents. If they ever came up, I was going to have at least one of them already dead. Mm -hmm. Probably I would have the other one a disappointment and then try and present Sasha with an opportunity to realise that who cares? It doesn't really matter. Yeah, Who yeah, cares? Yeah. That was sort of, again, this is very nascent because that that died as an examination quite early, is they were both going to be tied to Harlequin. I think one of them was going to be potentially quite, I don't know, highfalutin and dead. The other one was going to be less important, I guess, mm. but also kind of just personally disappointing, mm. where I'd build them up, I'd build them up, and then they wouldn't be annoying, they'd just be... Lowfalutin. You know what I mean? Like deadbeat mom or deadbeat dad, just yeah, not yeah. actually all that. Not very competent when competence was like Sasha's Yeah, it, this ideal. is exactly what I'd be. It's like, you know, why didn't you come and get me? Well, you know, they were quite scary people, so I thought I'd just, you know, stay on the farm. And, you know, that kind of really mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. uninspiring, just so that Sasha can have the... For a long time, I thought this was important. I realise it's... It means nothing to me at all, and I'm way yeah. beyond this as a like mm. destination. But that would have had to have been a big long one, and that art kind of got pruned very early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My instinct was that you would have ended up running if he ever had gone to what the meritocrats had said was an Australian penal colony. You would have found a happy farmstead, but with a probably a deadbeat parent there. But that's very yeah. nascent, buried in years ago, and never really came to anything. It feels also like, um, as far as the emotional payoff goes for that arc, that Sasha kind of did that with Barrett, right? Mm. With with Sasha's whole speech to Barrett about like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. eh, whatever. There were a couple mm. of points I considered like forcing the issue, but Sasha had outgrown it. Yeah, yeah. Like really quite quickly, it, it started to feel like a very, my first young adult book uh, <laughs> reveal. Um, yeah, so yeah. It, it just kind of died on the vine. It never really came to anything. Mm. I, I had a lot more desperate and, frankly, van, vanity-driven attempt to make Sasha a distant relative of Bertie, but same situation. <laughs> I didn't really amount to anything. <laughs> yeah. Any other, any other favourite numbers? We've had uh, 794 and 69 twice. Nice, nice. <laughs> I'll go for the unlucky number 13. Oh, classic, classic. Mm. All right. 
This is from James G. Helen, could you tell us a little bit more about Azu's family? Are her children adopted or biological? Certain things weren't too clear in the epilogue, and I'm very, very curious to learn more about Mama Azu. Aww. Aww. Um, okay, so Azu's own family, she had two kids. It was um, Sasha and Echi. Um, Echi means tomorrow in Igbo. <laughs> I didn't think too deeply about it. They are biologically Azus in my mind. I wanna, I kind of wanna leave the rest of it up to the rest of you. Like, I, the main points for me were that I wanted Azu to have a happy family, to have settled down, and, um, have pivoted towards nice things. <laughs> Instead of the horrific murders that she was having to commit constantly. Um, I feel like there is a very wide network of various co-parents who come in and out. I think that Kiko is one of them, Amir is one of them, Jinwa is one of them. I think that she has a wide sort of family network of uncles and aunties and... um, very much her children raised by a village. Oh. Now, Azu cleaves things together Aww. rather than cleaving them apart. Oh, I love it. It's both adorable and etymologically accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Nice. I yeah. do remember when you were when we were discussing epilogues, you were explicitly like, I kind of just want it to feel good, fluffy, woofy family, and I don't really care. Like, do, do I need to say if they're married or not? I was like, Helen, I don't. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah I just wanted things that Azu would like which again was an interesting thought exercise because that's the opposite of a life that I would want <laughs> um, mm. I'm really glad that she got it and I would just just wanted to take care of my girl basically <laughs> that's all I would love I love contrasting in my head the first takeaways on epilogue from Helen and Ben <laughs> <laughs> just because Helen's was like I really want Azu to have a fluffy woofy time and then Ben's was like Zolf immediately disappears for at least you know two years and that he, was uh, necessary for him I gave he, him I gave him a fluffy woofy time and eventually and it's awful and it's terrible and he finally gives up and comes back <laughs> he just got his fluffy so woofy totally different he got it we're... eventually <laughs> Um, okay, okay. Any other any other questions? Uh, I've got a twenty-eight. I've got a thirteen. I've got a seven. I've got a ninety-four. Any others? I, I feel like I should stand up for my fellow nerds and say forty-two. Yeah. Oh, yep. yeah. Good call. Good call. Ooh, yes. Good, good call. one. Good call. All right. This one's from Liz to all the players. Ooh. Oh, I like that. Is there an NPC that you and your characters have differing opinions on? So is there anyone where, like, your character thinks, this person's great and you as a player, like, I, I could not stand to be near this person? That kind mm. of thing. Really good question. I don't think we've been asked that before. Mm. <laughs> Everyone's thinking really deeply. What a good question. Yeah. I I think immediately, I think Sasha has a lot more tolerance for Bertie than I would. <laughs> yeah. oh, because yeah. he is competent. And while she does not approve of a lot of his opinions and actions and personality, frankly, she's used to putting up with quite toxic people in order to survive. And so dealing with someone that is straightforwardly 
obviously bad and is too stupid to hide their badness. He's like a breath of fresh air to her. But I think with Bertie, part of it is like he grows ever less satirical yeah. as the years go by. So as a result, like Oof. any kind of ha ha ha, what a joke has just turned to get out of my life. Yeah. I, I already yeah. know like, too many people uh, like you. Just just get out of my life right now. Very early on, like partly because James would constantly say it, uh, I was aware as a person that Bertie was terrible. Now, the thing is, Sasha might also be aware that he's terrible, but she knows a lot of terrible people mm. and a lot of people who are much more complicatedly toxic. Whereas someone where you know the ways they're going to be bad. Oh, sure. sure and sure. you can predict that and you can work around it. And they are also very useful in life or death situations. Like, Sasha has a ton more time for that as a part of her life. Not that she likes him particularly, but like, she's got time for that. But is a hammer you might sometimes hit your thumb with, but a hammer is a hammer is a hammer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whereas I have no use for murderers in my day-to-day work. Uh, <laughs> So, Ironically, I think Bertie's the thing that me and Zolf is the only thing that me and Zolf ever saw eye to eye on. <laughs> Yeet him off the train immediately. Immediately. <laughs> but yeah, apart from that. I would have hated Aaron Fairhands, for sure. Mm. Like he, he he improved as time went on, but I would not have had any patience for the snootiness. Mm. I would have been like, "Oh, oh, you think you're better than me? F- you and what?" <laughs> I, do, I do love, I do love as a trope the oh this this person's the most skilled and charitable person in the world. Oh, and they're also an ass. Yeah, I like it's a yeah. trope. It's very tropey. I I secretly personally really <laughs> like that trope. I mean, I guess context dependent. You know, if Bryn met most of the people in the campaign without knowledge of the campaign, he'd be like, why have you murdered so many people? Um, <laughs> that does feel morally incoherent. But, you know, like, uh, so in terms of different, I always had uh, this sort of small headcanon that uh, Hamid hated animals. Well, not hated, but just disliked animals. Like, just oh, wow. was not an animal person. Like, didn't like pets, I basically. I sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, it kind of playing into his neatness obsession in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I always had in my head that Hammond didn't like Brutor, like hardly at all, just because yeah. he's like, Brutor is quite a messy thing and I don't <laughs> like mess. Um, I should have done more with that. I never really had Hammond against animals much as a thing. Mm. I should have done more with that. Uh, <laughs> Alex, there was an opportunity for torture all along. <laughs> it's that same root cause of um, Hammond not knowing even what a penguin was, which is one of my favourite moments. <laughs> a, but it was like part, to me, it was generally came out of understanding the character. When was that? When I can't that? even remember. It was a discussion with Azu. Azu then described yeah. what a penguin was. I just, yeah. I loved it. I loved it. Um, Sounds fair. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm more of a cat person than a dog person, but, you know, I'm... I'm like, yeah, Brudel's fine. It seems like a nice dog. <laughs> but Hamid would be like, yeah. I would love it that like Hamid hates cats, uh, but he's mm. not allergic to them. Whereas yes. Bryn yeah. would love to stuff his face in every cat. Yeah. Like, oh, smooshy smoosh. But unfortunately, mm. the swelling. I, I personally think I hate, would would hate personally all of the characters that everyone else, the well-loved characters... Um, as an example, Einstein would drive me up the wall. I don't care how well-meaning you are. You are, you are too much. Mm. Drink less coffee. Um, <laughs> wild, 
is just way too into his own self-sacrifice for me personally. It's just like, no, okay, you aren't being pushed into this situation. You keep you keep choosing the red pill. <laughs> and then as for Ed, I'd have the most time, but that'd be exhausting. Mm. That'd be someone you would have to make sure doesn't walk out into traffic every time you go out. Every, <laughs> every time. And I just, I don't have that level of patience. <laughs> And he wouldn't, he wouldn't deserve, he wouldn't deserve my resentment, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he'd have it. Mm. Yeah. You know that guy in Brooklyn Nine-Nine that like opens the car door and the drug dealer smashes into him and then he gets the promotion? Oh, yes. Like, yeah. That, that yeah. would be like yeah, yeah, one yeah. side of who Ed was. And he'd be more charming than that dude, but like after a while it would still great. Yeah. I think I'd get along really well with Harrison Campbell. <laughs> For, yeah, for the simple reason that Harrison Campbell's whole thing was, I'm just, I, I just write books. Yeah. This is all a lot for someone who spends most of their time a, a typewriter. You and Harrison Cam- Campbell would put out a very successful like series of Mills and Boons type podcasts. Yeah, that would, that'd be would fine. Do very well, yeah, that'd be all right, and that's good enough. Ben's like Zolf hated everyone, and so did I. <laughs> uh, no, I've been, I've been, I've been racking my brains. I don't think, I don't think Grizzop um, meaningfully interacted with enough NPCs to really have an opinion about them. And yeah, Zolf, I, I broadly uh, agree. Um, the only thing is maybe like uh, Jeffrey Chaucer because uh, uh, he's a lich, and that would be objectively terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd struggle fair. to get past the lichdom. <laughs> yeah, like I completely understand where he's coming from, but also he's undead, and that is very scary to me, a person who doesn't meet zombies very often. <laughs> I mean, also, I know that I had comparatively recently watched the series Chernobyl, and so for um, Chaucer was like, you're all feeling these waves of nausea and slight flashes of vision and blah, blah, blah. Uh... I just picked a bunch of minor radiation symptoms and layered them oh in as God. like flavour for the thing. Cool. So yeah, like that's that another makes one. It's like scarier in retrospect. An mm. evil oh, if you, go, if you go back, all of the like flavor. I made sure it wasn't mechanical. Uh, I've looked up, by the way, out of curiosity, a bunch of homebrew stuff like radiation and plutonium in Pathfinder and D anD. d It's awful. I oh, I recommend it if you're an evil GM. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. And at last chance, anyone else have any particularly hot takes on any any NPCs? That's a hard no. <laughs> There's okay. a lot of them. There's a lot of them. I can't remember them. Like I'm glad I was memorable for you, Helen. <laughs> right, on that, we'll take a break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. <laughs> and welcome back. I'll do my best to be more memorable for Helen. Write that in my notes for all. It's not that they're not memorable. It's just that there's tons of them. There's like a (laughs) hundred. It's fine. It's a they're a cavalcade of obnoxious idiots, and I agree. Also, sorry, just uh, just a question for everybody. Do you know who is this guy that's talking to us? (laughs) Oh, I've just tried to be polite. Uh, (laughs) It's a stowaway. (laughs) Yes, Andy. Right? It's Andy. Um, I I stand by the uh, statement I made some four years ago, which is they're all played by the same irritating little nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Accurate statements. Accurate statements. Although that statement has come back to me, I keep meeting fans, and they're all like, "I thought you were little." (laughs) because <laughs> I'm just average height I'm, I'm not exceptional in, in either height or smallness but everyone goes 
Everyone always says you're little. Why do they say you're little? And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. They say I'm small-minded, but it is lovely to meet you. Yeah. Just, you, you as a performer have a real gremlin energy. Mm, that's what it is. That's got a what real five-foot-one energy. But it, it's consistent. Anytime I've met a fan, I, I, I thought you'd be smaller. Sorry. Also, I mean, hello. You're shorter than me, so that's, you know, <laughs> sufficient in my head. Yeah, but you're secretly giant. I'm large-ish. I don't understand how anyone that has heard you voice both Greg and Jared Hopworth can, like... To be fair, none of your... Your voice and your body don't make sense, Alex. You're uh, you're like... What is this turning into? Anyone else have any value judgments you'd like to make of me as a person? That wasn't a value judgment. It was a description. (laughs) Nothing wrong with being a mystery. (laughs) Alex the Enigma. For the love of God, someone pick a number quick. Roll them dice. All Roll right, the dice. Right. Roll the dice. We'll all get right. back to our conceit. <laughs> this is immediately going to give me a number I don't like, and I'm going to regret our conceit now. You can just make a number oh, up, no. Alex. Thirty-six. It's a number I actually quite like. I always like thirty-six. Couldn't Although, tell you for why. I, I, next question. I'd like you to pick your least favorite number because I just hmm. love the idea of having a number you don't like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll go. I'll give you my least favorite next time. Okay. This is from Nosorgs. Flash forward time. What would the world of erasing the line look like 30, 50, 100 years later? Feel free to answer either for character families, if your character's not around, things like that. That's a ben huge Ben has just fallen question. out of the How camera. is that an answerable question by any stretch? I, I just think it's, it's a steampunk I would love to Wonderland. write that novel. I'd love to examine those worlds, mm. but I'd like someone else to do the work. Yeah, yeah. The thing that's weird with that is... Normally, I'm I I like my alternate history stuff. Like I'm actually I like I like the way it's written. I like the way you have to research it. I I, I engage with that as a as a subgenre. Hmm. For this, take a moment and think of all of the difficulties of that combined with certain characters were there. Hmm. Like oh yeah, I was there two hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah yeah, it was a Tuesday. Yeah, it was Tuesday because I always have uh, cereal so, on Tuesdays. One like, of the interesting <laughs> things will be like with the the end of magic. Does that mean, in a Tolkien-esque way, you end up with the elves kind like of fate, yeah, slowly yeah. fading away? Do you end up with uh, a lot of long-lived creatures and shorter-lived creatures kind of coming closer to the the human average, maybe? Um, since, you know, that's the middle value that, that the designers were working off. Is, is, is there stuff like that? Or do you end up with... Uh, yeah, this odd, I would imagine, without the kind of balancing force of magic, uh, steampunk wonderland with a kind of uh, altered carbon style elite of mm. elves and uh, other creatures that can live a very, very long time and accumulate power and knowledge uh, and gets kind of like you've got an interesting dystopia there you know mm. yeah I'm, I'm thinking of this i can separate it out how i engage with that as a creative question how i engage with that on the personal level i think your answer to that tells us like anyone's answer to that tells you a lot about that person yeah yeah <laughs> so like, like, oh, for me, give me the cyberpunk <laughs> see here's the thing is for me personally i read that i would read that very misanthropically 
Right. I'd be like, that's a long period of time with a lot of power vacuums kicking along. Historically, mm-hmm. those things tend to escalate. Um, you'll either end up with a new order that's a, a mess or you end up with a lot of conflict. Creatively, I know exactly what I would do with that if I was doing that leap ahead. Uh, I would go with, I forget what the trope's called, um, um, Utopia is Under Threat. Mm. I wouldn't do I wouldn't do Utopia of Bone, which is very specifically one, which is everything's wonderful and perfect. Oh, we have a very dark past. Mm. I wouldn't do that. What I would have is we worked it out. We really worked everything out. And then stuff is going wrong. And we as a society haven't had to deal with stuff going wrong for so long. We're not very good at dealing with things going mm. wrong. Mm. That's the way creatively I would engage with that. But I'm dealing with this a very like super big picture. It's not really, I think, the spirit of the question, which is like, what's Solf doing? <laughs> But being dead. Really? In 50 years' time? Well, in 100 years' time. Oh, yeah. It's in 30, 50, and 100, yeah. Well, in, in 100, I think, because he's about probably 80, 180. Oh, no. I don't know how long well, he, bloody... He was f- oh, 50 at the beginning of the campaign, and Dwarven lifespan, he can expect to live 250 at least. Oh, right, yeah, he's, okay. He's, he's smack at the... He's starting the upper half of middle-aged with those time frames. And oh, again, right, once okay. you start making the mental adjustments... It's a very weird world yeah. when that's, you actually that's start something to that is it like really annoying because you don't have generational memory because mm. people have such wildly different lifespans that like mm. there is so much continuity of well as as Lib was kind of saying with the alter carbon thing like there's so much continuity of structure and individuals that like it ossifies. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> there's no chance for any goblin to work their way up the kind of power halls of mm. an institution that also has elves competing for those spots, really. Even if they're brilliant, even if they mature super quickly, you're just waiting for a promotion. And like by the time that they've processed your application, you're dead. Which is like, it's one of the things <sighs> about like this kind of trad fantasy kind of building in its own problematic elements with like mm. because of these physical differences between mm. you know these these yeah. various sens- sentient peoples like there is a necessary stratification if you treat it with any sort of logic yeah which is obviously something that can be translated into the real world in really horrible ways but even digging into that just in the fancy level is and again in, in, i'm trying not to be as misanthropic as i am in person <laughs> um the world looks very very different though because there are certain major shifts i think orcish culture changes a lot because I think meritocratic pressure was quite intense. I think goblin culture shifts massively. And I suspect that, not even necessarily in like a, a violent way, but I think that the kobolds would end up massively expansionist. That mm-hmm. kind of, the way that they've pre- been presented. They're very sort of go-getters. Like, yeah, like I, I, I like agree it's a gross oversimplification, but I could see there being big complications there. But you're asking a massive question there, just enormous. Mm. Mm. I mean, I don't have to worry about anything because Azu's f***ing dead. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm particularly interested, and I don't know if you'll even be able to make a guess, Bryn. I'm particularly interested on your take of halflings in that space because, again, Mm. that longer lived but not... We're not talking, you know, like a high elf, I saw the sun being born kind of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, it's really interesting because, I mean, even in the RQG world that you set up, certain... Some some heritages, you know, stayed separate and some mixed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, halfling lifespan is not that different from human lifespan. And, you know, humans and halflings can sort of live together reasonably easily without too much difficulty. And we always said halflings were the most kind of interwoven with humans. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that that 
probably continues to be the, the, the case. Whereas we, you know, we presented this idea of orcish culture as being very separate. They tended right. to live apart, and that was partly due to lifespans, and partly they developed their own culture of like one of the things we talked about. Uh, I can't remember what point, but when I think it may have been for the Bertie side quest because it. Orc, an orc village was going to turn up in that and then sort of didn't. And we talked a bit about orcish culture at that point. Oh, yeah, because how... you were asking for a bunch of clarifiers. Yeah. So as far as I remember, it was all like citadel building. And I don't yeah. know how much that changed for Azu when, you know, orcs were considered kind of more My My memory is that um, orcish culture was around building things to last, like trying yeah. to make an... Um... Yeah. But also an acknowledgement that a lot of things might not, happen in your lifetime and it was fine to hand it over to either your direct children or your spiritual heirs and that that idea of yeah i'm building something that will outlive me but i'm also not the only person and that i think there's a really lovely callback there to you know an orcish attitude of it takes a village you know Mm -hmm. and you know i think that was built into orcish culture the way we wrote it in a really strong way, both both in terms, you know, pulling together as communities, but also that kind of cyclical handover of long-term yeah. projects, which I loved about Orcish culture and the way it was written. And I, But I wonder, and, you know, there was this very much a feeling that in the RPG world, elves didn't tend to mix with humans very much. And they, again, they tended to hold themselves separate, build their own societies and their own traditions. And, well, maybe some of that is to do with lifespans. You know, or- yeah. if orcs have developed their, that culture... And, you know, if elves realise that they're going to be keeping goblins out of positions by involving them heavily, well, maybe they stay separate. Maybe they create yeah. their own separate institutions. And is that, I mean, there's so, so many complex there's so ma- Yeah, there's so many questions. Because as well, like, we discussed a lot about where all the different places that elves lived and mm. all the different ways that their cultures yeah. and families would interact. So there's, of course, there's fewer elves, they live longer, and so you might know a larger proportion of the entire world's population Mm. and it was extremely magic based like the idea that you don't really build physical things uh and you instead build things using magic and you build yourself and skills and so it's like oh well i can get to this place and i can create an entire village out of like the, that druidic stuff that I picked up like 50 years ago and the woodcrafting skills that I've picked up over this and we'll all work together to make a kind of fun circus tent environment to live in for a while and then we'll move on to the next thing and build in a completely different style and the idea that you you kind of learn and you know and you build stuff out of magic and of course that would all then go and you'd have something very interesting there with a lot of people who's like status and skills become irrelevant but mm. so many questions are opened up from that that i don't think we can no there's, there's always a danger to trying to address these things quickly uh, and shallowly and i think part of what does the future look like depends on too many unanswered questions about the present yeah, yeah. you know what do all the various cultures that live across the world look like how mm. do they vary by location how do they vary by the different sentient peoples and we have never explored that to enough of an extent to know the current state of the full world <laughs> to be able to extrapolate that into the future. Yeah. Mm. I think there's there's one thing, that, and I, I don't know if I have this in my head because I have a sneaky suspicion that this question is trying to backdoor in the question, does the magic come back? Which is something that a lot <laughs> uh, of people maybe, are very invested but, in. Um, mm. But like, I think those timeframes, and it's because of bloody elves, um, <laughs> that what I would like to see, I think, and only in the context of us knowing what the world looked like when it had magic is that we have a reverse apocalypse but 
only when everyone who has living memory of it is dead because mm. it's not interesting if the magic comes back and a bunch of people are like, oh, yeah, the thing I remember, let's set it back to how it was. That's mm. boring. What I want <laughs> is a version of this where myths and legends come back to lot, like things that people know about from stories start happening again yeah. and you have to deal with the magical world. Like, and there's literally no living and, memory of it. Yes, yeah, smashing that's into so interesting. your that existing really world. That's so interesting. That would be really cool, yeah. And, and, and that's only really interesting because we know so much about the world that looked like like this campaign we've played through and saw it go away, that you then have this like gap where people kind yeah. of, it all goes into myth, legend and story and then people have to deal with like the planes of healed and suddenly like a fire elemental turns up and everyone's like, what the hell is this? Yeah, <laughs> I read that book. I would, yeah. But you're, I read but you're that looking book. at like okay. 2,000 years, aren't you? You're not looking at 100. Yeah, because yeah, elves make things a problem. <laughs> You know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm going to plant my flag in this hill. 100 years from then, there's a space race and they all discover they're in a jar. Now there's your story. <laughs> so now we're playing, we're playing Starfinder, but with a glass shell. Uh, and then, you know, there you go. Job done. Yeah. I never mentioned the jar. It wasn't relevant, but it was always <laughs> definitely there. And we were on a desk in Newton's study. <gasps> wah, 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 wah. I think it's a really interesting question, but it's too it's hard a, to answer. It's a really good question, but it yeah. takes it would take hours and research and and you know the, the question about does the magic come back? Well, I think we you know I think Alex, you mentioned at one point you were considering twisting that yeah, into the epilogue, and we it. decided it might undercut the story yeah. we were telling at that point. And I think you can build a really interesting story where the magic does start to return, but you can also build a really interesting one where it doesn't. And I think that- In the future, after the final epilogue, there is a single long-lived creature in the world that Alex has created that is constantly doing will checks. <laughs> <laughs> it finally fails. As soon as it fails... Magic comes back, but, but that it's, is very me. It's a yeah. very it's it's very hard for it to fail, and it's <laughs> it's rolling two hundred sided dice, and it needs to confirm the critical fail. <laughs> uh, so there's there's yeah. a long time to go. Amazing, yeah. To give a slightly more serious answer from my perspective as well, like I am I am realizing again how my, my understanding of narrative is so much in general just so much smaller and I'm much more interested in individuals than in mm. big long time jumps like that because for me I the reason I can talk about Azu dying so flippantly is because I think she had a lovely life in the end oh. and yeah. um and the idea of of like her dying and her impact probably slowly fading out of the world a bit as people you know grow older and stuff like that is fine it's fine to just have a, a small, homely, domestic story ending like that for her. Yeah. And I think just her being just as important a part of her sort of family tree as anyone else was is also nice. You know, yeah. I just, yeah. <laughs> but maybe I'm just bad at endings. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Historically, the bigger the ending someone goes for, the worse it is, and I'm happy to I'm happy to die on that hill. It's very scale tends to be directly incompatibility with intimacy of topic. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, my my heart still desires the fairy tale ending, with when that as it did was almost five years old. So I think the ending is they all lived happily ever after. So there. Oh, I won't engage with that. Ah! Kind of bad <laughs> Fifty, Alex. We haven't we haven't done no. You know, nice uh, right in the middle. How dare you? I was asked what my least favourite number is. And I'll be sharing this one before oh. 50. We'll end on 50. Sure. My least favourite, 
99. Just be 100. Just, just be a hundred. No one wants you. Just be a hundred. Everyone treats you like you're a hundred. Just give it up. You're not a number, and that's okay. Just, just, just delusions of grandeur. 99. You can keep your change. It's fine. It's fine. You're a hundred. We're all okay with it. Anyway, smiley. Ari the creepy chanting back in Rome. Was there a wild connection with De Profundis, or is it just a nice Easter egg? <laughs> So the chanting is uh, De profundis clamavete domine domine exaudio vocum meam fiant aures tua intendentes in deprecationis meae which Nerd. is um, from the depths of despair I cry to you O Lord O Lord hear my prayer I think it is or something historically the reason for that is because the school I went to uh, we had to memorise that as a school hymn <laughs> uh, wow. because the, the school's founder literally went I want every year all of the students to pray for me because I'm pretty certain I'm going to hell True story. (laughs) So as a result, we all had to sing a song which was from the depths of hell. God, please rescue me! I've, (laughs) I've arranged for all of these children to (laughs) to pardon me and to keep praying on my behalf when I'm gone. Wow. Okay. Let's not unpack that. Um, However, it just it it lodged it lodged in my brain. But it means that I have a prepackaged set of Latin just built into my head, which is suitably like. What's the word? Ominous. Uh, yeah, ominous is the right word. Suitably ominous. And so as a result, it was it was easy for me. Think of it more as a nice Easter egg. It was just that because I know what it means, I went, yeah, that sounds quite scary. <laughs> and I, I thought if anyone wants to look it up, they'll be able to find it out easily enough. Mm-hmm. But I also figured that no one at this table would care. So, yeah, all right. Yeah, did not notice. It does. It doesn't have a particularly deep connection with wild i understand what people are driving out there it's honestly just plucked straight from it it's something that's buried in my head from a very bizarre nuance of childhood and i'll leave it at that <laughs> i really wish i could have given a better answer for that well no i mean it's it's pure coincidence but both you and the real oscar wilde were pulling on the same cultural thing coincidentally which is a sort of well well known in quote marks for a certain value of well-known prayer yeah uh, 50, was it? Okay, this is from mile after mile. Just middle of the road. middle, The middlest of the roadest <laughs> of numbers. For Alex, what who has influenced development of your GM style over the years? Ooh. Ooh. I'd be interested to know that too. Yeah. I originally started the podcast because I discovered actual play was a thing and was like, oh, of course it's a thing. Uh, the <laughs> first one I listened to, I think, was Critical Hit? So there's there's a I've list, I listened to a few I then did a deep dive so it's like then it was like going around all at the time in terms of my actual GMing style I'm trying to think I'm very good at remembering like the thematic thing so call out to that one Twitter user who before the ending went is this just Arthur C Clarke's childhood's end and I had to just go, waka, waka, waka. yes, yes, it is. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, you know I can't tell you this via Twitter before the ending. So, ooh, <laughs> ooh, mystery. Ooh, yes. Like that happened to, I, I read that and happened to read that at the same time. And these things plug into one another. Mm. But in terms of like actual GMing style, um, there's a big divorce between games that I've played for pleasure and this. The games that I've played for pleasure tended to be very mechanic heavy. But in terms of like running for for you guys, I think mostly it was through conversations with people like, I don't know, Grant Howitt or a few other people I've met over the years who just 
corrected stupid misconceptions at my end. Hmm. There's nothing better for you than someone going, uh, you, need to, you need to climb out your uh, bum on that one. That's, uh, <laughs> that's just a really bad, <laughs> terrible idea to both execute on and even really like build around. Just don't do that. And I don't mean that in the naysaying way I find. It's just... There isn't, like, I haven't modelled myself after a specific person. I haven't, like, sat there and, you know, analysed various uh, actual plays and broken them down and gone, ah, I will lift this specific thing. It's not, it's not really how I work. Um, if anything, I think I haven't changed my GM styling enough. I think I should have been doing more of that because that's what it takes to be a good creative. You meant to be that current. I think mostly it was learning one skill, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's um, I have to swear because that's what it's called. It's the improv thing of drop your sh- which yeah, is, um, yeah. it doesn't matter how good at planning you are, if you are trying to make people obey that plan, it's going to go wrong. It's bad mm. RPGs, it's bad improv, it doesn't work. And that sounds easy. It's It sounds really easy, but it's very difficult not to go, here's where I'm at, here's where I think I should be, force it, mm. and just responsive GMing is a skill and it's a skill that you learn via doing. There is no, I'll practice and then be ready to GM. You just, you just start. You just start with care and consideration. But that's the one thing I've learned is that the longer I ran this is the more responsive that game became. Those first few sessions are very, you'll go here, you'll go here, you'll go here. And then I hit a middle point where I was telling people, I need to railroad at this bit for the story to work. And then towards the end, it increasingly is more like, there's a lot of give here. There's a lot of law attached, which means that, broadly speaking, the consequences for these things are a bit more obvious to me, so it can be a bit more responsive. Mm. So in terms of what's influenced my style, weirdly enough, it's probably improv, and it's just returning to base principles, where it's like, I went through a whole load of, like, Bryn knows this. We met a bunch of people mutually through that. I, I went, I re, <laughs> I used to teach improv, started the podcast and went, I'm bad at this now. I need to brush up and then attended a bunch of like training stuff to to get back into the swing of it. So weirdly enough, probably that retraining in improv has been the biggest influence on the GMing. And I'm actually overdue doing that again, actually. It's I've, I've let those skills atrophy and I need to I need to brush up. But yeah, it's a, it's one of those good questions I can't give a particularly satisfying answer for because frankly, the person who asked that probably knows a lot more about GMing than I do. <laughs> I I would I would say it's something I've seen some gems and game just and rpg game writers i really respect start to talk about more in the last few years i think that including grant um and my friend josh fox who some of you may be familiar with um mm. i think that the overlap between being a good rpger which can be a good player or a good gm and like the kind of the base level skills you learn in improv there's a huge overlap and I think that mm, you know, the two feed into each other in a, in a really nice way and I think that you know if you're worried about that then take an introductory improv course uh like yeah. you don't have to be a performer you don't have to be funny in an improv course like but the, the kind of the base level skills of like just yes anding mm. and kind of that that attitude that you you they they try and drill into you in an introductory level improv course are really beneficial as a way to approach a table for a RPG, in my opinion, at least, I think that there's. Oh no, I 100% agree. It teaches creative social yeah, etiquette. Yeah, they're, they're they're very useful skills for just kind of existing in the world in in lots of ways. Mm. I the helping feeling like you have more options and structures at your disposal when you encounter complicated 
social environments and complicated questions. I, I think a lot of the stuff that I learned doing improv and then gaming was very good when like being on round tables about complicated tech policy at like mm. EU level, that sort of thing. Because you're just like, ah, I can take what you're saying, understand and just move on my feet. Uh, so I just think that, you know, it's it's good stuff. To be incredibly obnoxious, there is actually a Rusty Quill podcast which has an episode entirely about improv Ooh. as something that we are excited about. So um, yeah. <laughs> people might even be enthusiastic about it. Mm, yes. And, and having an orgasm? Wait, no, hang on. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> you called it enthusiasm. Oh, you know what you were referencing. <laughs> I, sorry, I, I just want to add, I don't think uh, having encouraged people to go do improv and stuff... Uh, like, I don't think it's necessary. There's plenty of people who are well, very required. good at, you know, without it. Like, as far as I'm aware, Helen and Ben have not taken improv classes and they are at least as good as those of us who have, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Better. bloody hell. Um, very impressive. Uh, but, you know, it's something that if you are worrying about your ability to participate in yeah. RPG games and and you, you want to feel like you're doing something that could help, improv is a good way like i'm not saying it's necessary or required i'm saying that you know it's an option if you're feeling kind of insecure in that sense and i you know to me i love i felt that both doing both for me has definitely helped me do the other one at the various times and points yeah yeah okay then we're on our last question then uh we established my hatred of the number 99 does anyone have a number they want to end on for today one oh (gasps) Oh. yeah all right all right Phineas, also known as Sarcastic Pumpkin, to Lydia and Alex, for the final epilogue, how did you reach the decision for Barnes to have passed? Was it a decision between the two of you, or did one of you suggest it? Why did you choose to go that route? I'll say from my end, I just said, what do people think makes sense? Uh, Mm. All I did is make sure that people didn't contradict one another. I I contributed very little to the epilogue, genuinely. All I did is make sure that it it was coherent. That was it. I just wanted there to be an arc over the those episodes and like I had thought that the post magic world could in some ways be absolutely amazing for Cell and that they would be extremely enthusiastic about all the rebuilding and I also like it really I had a lot of fun like just thinking throughout the last bits of the campaign that uh Cell and Barnes were just having a really lovely relationship off camera. Hmm. <laughs> and so there were lots of things where like where near the end Alex would say to all of us, like, are there final touch points that you want to hit on with your characters? And I had kind of realized that like there was loads of incels backstory that hadn't really come up. Hmm. And then it was like, no, it's fine because the person that they would talk to about this stuff is not one of the party members. Like and hmm. that and so that's yeah, cool. And it yeah. and, and so yeah, I just like the idea of them having that relationship. And then it I don't know, maybe I wanted to hit <laughs> I wanted to have the final tragic laugh. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very satisfying laugh to have. Well, yeah. Um, I thought it just kind of made sense for there to be an emotional strand to that, to the endings that was not directly about the party members. Because there was discussion of one of the party members dying. There had been discussion of the ups and downs that other people's 
characters took. And so, yeah, it, it just, it made sense. I do, I do think that they had a, a very lovely relationship and the Venga was a lovely boat to be on. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, sort of, uh, I heard everybody was jumping. Yeah, yeah. And that they liked to party. They, they did indeed. Yeah. And I think I will uh, end the episode there on that. <laughs> Similarly, like, simultaneously profound and ludicrous note, which is a very, very specific note. Uh, we'll be back, I believe, next week with the, the last of these Q&As. Uh, but until then, that's uh, bye from me. And I don't want to speak for everyone else. You might not want to say bye. Who knows? Bye! bye. Rusty Quill Gaming is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 international license. Today's episode was directed by Alexander J. Newell and produced by Hannah Preisinger. To subscribe, buy merchandise or join our Patreon, visit RustyQuill.com. Rate and review us online, tweet us at the Rusty Quill, visit us on Facebook or email us via mail at RustyQuill.com. Join our community on the Discord or via Reddit at r slash RustyQuill. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, it's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola, and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun, and see you later.